This is Artistic Intelligence, where we explore the intersection of art, sustainability, and technology. This show is brought to you in partnership with the United Nations ITU AI for Good, Changing the Story podcast, and State. Now let's join your co-hosts, Neil Sahoda and Michael Ashley. Welcome to another episode of Artistic Intelligence. We have a phenomenal guest, technologist, music artist, inventor, and NASA data knot, LJ Rich. She is a Hi. one. I gotta ask about the data knot in a second here. Is <laughs> she's well known for presenting on BBC's flagship technology show, Click, but she's also gathering notoriety talking about her synesthesia, a mixing of the senses that gives her both superpowers and fatal flaws. She sees colors when hearing music and food tastes and textures mapped to musical keys. LJ was interviewed in the New York Times about her experiences as a synesthesia and musician. And at the AI United Nations AI for Good Summit, LJ hosted and performed on two pianos and two computers. with audience of over 600 distinguished ministers, ambassadors, scientists, honors guests. And I was there and I will tell all of you, it was mind blowing. You have to check it out. LJ, welcome to the show. What an introduction, Neil. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Oh, it's awesome to see you again. I'm, I'm totally stoked because I love your music. Oh, but maybe Maybe you can introduce yourself to the audience. I mean, and share how did LJ become LJ? Well, you've done such a good job of introducing me in just those few minutes. Um, I'll just add to what you said. I'm a TV broadcaster, a musician. I'm interested in the nexus of AI and art and technology and music and art in all its forms, creativity in all its forms, in fact. And I create soundscapes. I build sound installations, virtual and real. And I perform live, although in the current climate, I'm now performing virtually. I've actually been streaming for over five years. So for me, streaming is nothing new. And what I've been doing with the sort of lockdown experience is really seeing how far I can push the boundaries of streaming, what things I can do to make it more interesting for the people who are connecting with me. That's awesome. I don't know how you have time to do all that. You definitely have some superpowers. <laughs> I don't sleep that much. Ah, so what came first? Was it art or was it AI? <laughs> oh, great question. I've always been fascinated with how natural minds work. And when I looked at artificial composing, it was actually a long, long time before AI was the buzzword that it is today. Many years ago, someone called David Cope made a machine composer called Emmy, which stood for Experiments in Music Intelligence. And the premise was that Emmy was fed a whole load of Bach, about 1100 organ works, something like that. And Emmy was this computer music program that was fed the Bach and then spat out some new Bach. And at first it didn't work because it kind of sounded a bit boring. Now, just to give you an idea of what Bach sort of sounds like, it's kind of like... Um... It's very kind of relaxing, predictable, sort of. But one thing that Bach does is breaks his own rules. Now, what happened was the computer program hadn't 
broken any of the rules. So what was coming out didn't quite sound like Bach. So what the composer did, or at least the programmer, and that's where it was starting to blur lines already. So what he did was he added some randomized elements to encourage the machine, the algorithm, to break the rules a little bit now and again, just like Bach did. And what happened was Bach came out or something that sounded enough like him to confuse and sometimes upset some very distinguished listening ears. Um, one of the first keynote speeches I did many years ago was actually for IBM. <laughs> and I was in one of the royal palaces in London and it was a very intimidating stage, but I got up and I was talking about analytics and music and data. And one of the things I mentioned was actually fake bark and real bark. And I played two versions um, to the audience. So I played some fake bark and some real bark, and it was evenly split 50-50. And I think that's just one of the many reasons I'm fascinated by machines and music, because a, a machine can make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. How? What, what's going on there? And so I wanted to explore more. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, should I be worried? I mean, we worry about fake news, deep fakes, now there's fake music, is that the deal? <laughs> Uh, well, now you're getting into subjective territories. We all know there are formulas for songs. For example, most of the pop songs that you hear follow the same kind of... Uh, chord sequences. Uh, and the only real difference is different moods, really. You've kind of got this... Um, obviously different keys and things but there are already formulas whether or not they're made by a, a machine or a human I don't think that's quite the question to to ask yet does that make sense it, it, it does but it, <laughs> that makes me wonder if I'll start hearing new Bach or, <laughs> or new some other artists that have been uh, long gone for centuries Oh, well, absolutely. It's, it's possible to create new music by artists who are no longer with us, and, uh, or even when the band has been broken up for many, many years. And I did experiment with that as well. Um, on my Instagram account, there's a few samples of the ones that made the most sense, but I decided in my infinite wisdom to see if I could make the Beatles sing Carly Rae Jepsen's hit, Call Me Maybe, and that stemmed out of this crazy show that I did, like a streaming show, <laughs> where I would experiment and stream. So anything from playing two songs at the same time, playing a song mixed with an artist. And I did this with, with great aplomb and joy. And then somehow I, I started to get obsessed with this idea of, could I get an AI to do that? Can I get an AI to make the Beatles sing Call Me Maybe? <laughs> I'm, I'm, my mind's blown. <laughs> I know, we're just a few minutes in, right? <laughs> Let me know if I've gone a bit too far off of the end of the idea of your no, artistic no, intelligence, because it goes a little bit crazy in some parts, I am aware. I'm just, I'm just fascinated with the idea that you could actually have the, the Beatles cover modern songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's different ways of, of doing it. Um, AI is always referred to in these sort of reverential terms, I think, and it's becoming more and more accessible for more and more people to start playing with it. I would say that I'm a little bit technically minded. 
I'm a lot determined. And if I can't understand something, I keep going, I keep trying, I keep searching online and I find the people who know and then just sit at their feet until they teach me bits and pieces that I can then put together. And that's kind of how I started getting into coding, uh, AI, music. And um, one of the things I found that's very frustrating is to make something that appealed to my musical side, the classically trained musical side, I had to do a lot of heavy, heavy supervision of what the algorithm was, was throwing out. So it is possible to give an AI a program and say, this, is, this sounds like the Beatles, this doesn't, and now make the Beatles, and it will make a minute of Beatles. The thing is, is if it's sampling just the beginnings of every Beatles song, or just the kind of at the end of the vinyl, you're going to come out with something very unsatisfying. So you need to supervise roughly where, whether you like the first sample. And then in my case, I was supervising every few seconds and taking a musical decision every few seconds instead of just sort of letting it do its thing. So in a way, I was co-composing with an AI and I was actually quite happy with the result. And um, I think, did I send it to you in time for you to play it? Uh, no, but we can. <laughs> we'll, I'm, what we'll do is we'll edit it in for the audience and uh, as a B-roll clip. Okay. So um, I'm just wondering if I can find it to play you. Oh, I might be able to do it on the other, on the other computer. Let's see. Uh, bear with me. I'm not turning my back on you. This is just the other. Oh, here we don't are. Worry. So just, just for fun. <laughs> Okay, so to, to most people that might just sound a little bit noisy, it's a bit crackly, it's a bit kind of not quite there, but to musicians who are familiar with Beatles tracks, you have these really interesting melodic characteristics. Like you've kind of got these... Um, uh, that's really sort of Beatles-esque. And even then... I mean, that sounds like early Beatles. Let me just close that up and come back. There, you should be able to hear me better now. So that, that sounds like early Beatles. <laughs> yeah, it, it did. I right. It's it's not just like they replicated the actual like music. They put the the Beatles kind of stamp onto it. So I mean, you had to teach the AI this. You're teaching them about chords and harmony and melody. And I mean, I guess what what was the magic? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so a lot of people um, I played it to are quite surprised at how well that turned out. And there was a lot of upset involved every sort of few seconds saying, nope, I'm, I don't like the way this is going or even starting from the very beginning. And so what it does is it takes samples from, you know, random amounts of Beatles in a database. This is using AI, Jukebox AI, Open AI Jukebox rather, I should say. And, um, and then every few seconds it would, I would generate four to five seconds. Then I would listen and then I would generate another four to five and then I would use my personal knowledge of all the Beatles songs 
to direct it in a way that sounded right. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was a nightmare because I would be staying up at night. I'd lie in bed. I'd have my laptop next to me with my hand sort of there because you have to keep the <laughs> runtime going because it doesn't. You're not doing this locally on a tiny low power laptop. You're you're using <laughs> you're using you know runtime somewhere in in the other part of the world. <laughs> So if you time out every 35 minutes, you need to press a key to let the computer and therefore the server on the other side know that you're still running <laughs> processing calculations. So it was a real kind of labor of love. And I did have a few <laughs> sleepless <laughs> nights trying to get that work. But I got Queen, the band, to sing Let It Go. And I've also got you 2 singing Bat Out of Hell. Oh, wow. I felt like they were quite interesting style transfers. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We applaud your dedication. Thank you, LJ. <laughs> I, uh, I, I can't imagine having to do that every 35 minutes. <laughs> well, this is the thing. As a musician, as a creator, you have this compulsion. I, I think we have either commissions where we're paid to do something or compulsions where we are driven to do something. And in order for me to understand AI and music, I had to learn how to do it. And if I'm going to talk about artificial intelligence in applications outside of music, such as the intelligent building design for architecture, or you know, even autonomous driving and lots of applications for AI, if I understand the creative aspect inside of my wheelhouse, as it were, then I'm going to be able to transfer that knowledge into thinking innovatively about the future and give some context to when I'm doing the AI for good stuff so that I can get the people I'm talking to to really bring out some of their best answers. I, 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 I'm just, again, fascinated because I think I could barely draw a stick figure. I have like no artistic ability. But I mean, hearing these things, I think for a lot of people like, okay, I had no idea about some of these things, but I remember at the summit, you were talking about that there was a, a sequence of four chords that depending on what sequence you, you put it in would create all kinds of emotions. Yeah, this one, the four chords. I mean, there's a fantastic YouTube video by a band called Axis of Awesome. It's really old now where they play, you know, millions of different songs, not millions, <laughs> tens of different songs which follow the same chords. And weirdly, humans like repetition. And if you were to chart the evolution of music, um, you would see that repetition is favored over innovation. Uh, one could argue that that might have some relevance outside of artistic spheres. And I could go on for ages about how I feel that art and music and creativity reflect a wider socioeconomic landscape. And we don't really talk about that enough, but that's, Again, that's another thing that I could <laughs> go into. But in terms of repetition, if you take even this, that's something a lot of us hear. It's a major scale, but it's only Western European scale that we're listening to that a lot of pop music that we hear uh, is, is based on. But you've got lots of other scales. You've got lots of other instruments than the piano. You know, you've got this sort of Indian subcontinent ragas and things where you've got, um, you know, African rhythms from the African subcontinent 
where you can start to hear that influence coming in to the mainstream when you listen to the charts now there's a lot of afro beats coming in a few years ago there was a lot of stuff from the indian subcontinent coming in um strangely when i looked at the ai database that the library of, of musical samples it seems to be programmed by people who have a particular taste in music tending towards western tending towards heavy metal with a little bit of rap and not so much world music so there is a lot of space for diversity inside of the ai uh, databases that are being created and you know I, I would like to see a kind of more world music and perhaps this again expands out of the musical area but when we are creating a database a lot of the time we are bound by what's in that data i you know data is, is the big constraint or the big enabler depending on what you have but i i've been asked this question for like 15 years now in that Will AI ever reach a state where it can create, where it can imagine? Do you think AI will actually create original music? Hmm. All right, in order to answer this question, we have to talk about inspiration. Where does it come from? You've written books, you've sat down and you've had an idea, I'm gonna write something. What made you write the first page if you even started it linearly? What happened? For me, it was that I saw a need, right? I saw the same people having the same questions. And I'm just like, I can work with them one-on-one -on -one or I can write a book and try to appeal to the masses. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw a need, you saw a gap and you wanted to fill that gap. In terms of creativity, it's almost, the, it's, it's a similar feeling. You know there's something missing from outside of your head. And so you try and build it. So for most artists and musicians, you have two versions of doing this. The first version, which I have, is everything's perfect in your head and you need to get it out of your head and into the world as quickly as possible. And that could be a whole orchestra that you have to kind of quickly write down before it disappears from, from you. It's an excruciating and ultimately mind-numbingly painful task because you always fail <laughs> the music in in my head is perfect it's flawless it's real instruments it's beautiful the music that i make always has that little bit missing you know unless i get the opportunity to write something for a real orchestra and then you know even now with we'd have to do that with low latency to get an orchestra to play together the technology is there but to, to do something that's as perfect as what's in, in my head is is really hard the other form of inspiration is where you start with a foundation and you slowly build upon that foundation until you're satisfied. That's how I um, write TV, actually. Or if I'm, I'm writing TV pieces, I'll have an idea and then I'll layer different things on it and I'll find something and I might change direction and, and make something that's different to how I originally imagined it to be. So I'm familiar with both creative processes. So you're talking about AI and the seed of inspiration. If we go back to Bach, fake bark and real bark. Could um, David Cope's Emmy computer create bark if there was no bark to start off with? <laughs> that, now, that's, the, that's the eternal question. <laughs> if we then
again bring that forward in the first Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures movie. And I haven't seen the new one, so don't tell me anything because I, I will eventually see it. But in the first movie, the main characters go and grab Beethoven and bring him back to the present day and give him electronic synthesizer keyboards. And in, I don't know if you saw it or remember this, but uh, Beethoven is in a shopping center, absolutely rocking out with all of his keyboards. Now, let's go back to your question. What would he have written if he had this access to all of this new, amazing technology? And one of my theories, which I'm, I'm going to reserve the right to completely go back on, <laughs> but one of my theories would, was that he would simply write what he was destined to write and then he would write more of it because he'd be able to get more of it down. <laughs> but if he was to listen to all of the music that came after him, and we're talking about 1800s up to the present day here, so we're also taking in, you know, Elvis, we're talking about folk music, we're talking about, you know, this weird um, atonal music, we've got film soundtrack music, we've got Bollywood music, you know, we've got all kinds of musical influence. That is what I think would massively change Beethoven's inspiration. So to answer your inspiration question in a very long-winded way, <laughs> inspiration comes from breathing, from looking, from absorbing. And whether that is a machine or a human, it is still absorbing and transcribing and exporting an idea. So I guess I believe that the inspiration just comes from input, whether it's an idea for a book, a piece of music, a TV show, a symphony, and then it, it, it comes out. So I suppose inspiration is interchangeable, like a currency of the universe, I guess. So unless the machines start learning how to get inspired, they're still gonna need us. <laughs> well, this, this is another question that again could be extrapolated, right? You're looking at how many jobs are gonna be made obsolete with the aspect of um, AI. And this is a particularly odd time because back when email was invented, it was touted as, well, that's it. Everybody's going to lose their jobs now. And that didn't quite happen. Email really came in and became more of an assistant, a companion, and the workload in increased sort of more and more. So with AI, I think we're going to see a lot more AI assisted jobs come in, but that we're always going to need somebody to program the AI. And you're always going to need something to help you think differently. I mean, I use AI composing tools to inspire me because some of the things that the computer thought up, for example, the Call Me Maybe with the Beatles, I wouldn't have thought of it. And so for me, that's a, a real gift. It helps me, it pushes me to go in a direction that I, as a human, wouldn't otherwise go. So that's what I think is happening here. I, I think it's fascinating. Um, I personally think I'd like to hear Weird Al Yankovic cover Frank Sinatra now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that can be arranged. I just need a bit of processing time. All right. We maybe we'll have an original you... here on artistic intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing, right? As a human, I would approach, I would approach things differently to a machine. So Weird Al Yankovic doing, what was it? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> so, you know, Frank Sinatra's got a kind of... It's very kind of... It's croony, isn't it? It's that kind of tonality. And then 
Weird Al Yankovic's voice is a bit nasal, isn't he? He's like, <laughs> your table manners are a coming shame. You know, so what are we looking at here? Well, there's two ways we can go. We can either have start spreading the news, that, that kind of thing, or you can have um, Frank Sinatra singing a Weird Al Yankovic song. So <laughs> there's, there's ways that you can do it, but with a the computer, there's probably a regimented thing to enter in at the beginning. So what I'd likely do is search to see if Weird, Weird Al Yankovic is in the database somewhere. Um, if I had more time or the inclination, I would upload Weird Al Yankovic's discography to a local instance of the uh, program. And then I would enter in lyrics. So you know, probably the one of the well-known Frank Sinatra things, you know, like uh, fly me to the moon and let me sing, that, that kind of thing. Something that is instantly recognizable. And I would run the program get it to generate a few seconds. If it sounds like it's going to be intelligible, then I would let it generate a few more seconds, ad infinitum up to a, you know 45 seconds or a minute, depending on my patience and the processing power and whether it crashes out or not, because that's also part of it. It's a really painful process in a way, more so than just composing on my own, because I am interacting every few seconds with an algorithm <laughs> that doesn't really listen. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work, but Weird Al, if you're if you're listening and you're interested, call us. <laughs> I don't know if you will after my impression. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe, maybe we'll have Frank Sinatra do Al Al. <laughs> uh, I I want to I want to take it back for a moment because you had talked about you know the gaps and the flaws even when we make music, and it reminded me of the movie Toy Story. So we got a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and a Toy Story reference going on here. Yes, I know. Well, I remember in Toy Story, the first one, I mean, it was an amazing animation by Pixar, but when they actually test screened it, people felt weird, right? And I remember it was because there were non-natural things happening. Like when you wave your hand, you know, you kind of see that ghost image as you wave it fast. Well, when they first animated Toy Story, there was no ghost image, right? You're not gonna have that, it's just, you know, it's pixelation. And they actually had to realize all these things, these, these kind of imperfections we see, and they had to go back and put it into the movie so it felt normal to, to people. So when you were talking about that, it made me rem remember that, is that could we have music that's too perfect? Oh, yes, like auto-tune. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're kind of talking a bit about the uncanny valley here, which is if something's so close to human, but it isn't quite. And what we collectively accept as not kind of crossing that creepy boundary Huh. I think with storytelling, there is a certain amount of leeway that's allowed with artists. When it comes to our AI assistants, it's taken a long time for me to allow Alexa to call me by my name. <laughs> <laughs> and the interactions that I have with the AI devices around my house are crossing that line between 
function and interaction. And I think people are still trying to solve that. Because if you look at the music industry, there is an accepted perfection that producers for a long time have put in sort of, I guess, the, the charts, for want of a better word. Everything is tuned. So if you sing a little flat, say you sing, la, but you actually go, la. Doesn't quite, that's actually hard to do when you've got perfect pitch, by the way. <laughs> um, so what you can do with um, modern music programming is you can kind of make that sound you can you can actually change so much about what goes in where i find this to be particularly interesting is if you look at music subculture so the stuff that's not in the charts there is almost a rebellion against perfection so you've got glitch music you've got grime music you've got music that is you know, based more on rhythm than melody. You've got music that skips and hops and, and doesn't go on the beat. You've got, you know, stuff that doesn't sound perfect, where people are still using samples from the 1960s and cutting them up and leaving that beautiful vinyl crackling noise that our ears love on um, on it. You know, Armin van Helden, a very prominent... Um, not, not, yes, Armin van Helden? Do I mean Armin van Buren? Hmm. I think I mean Armin van Buren. He adds transients, little high-pitched bits and pieces onto his tracks to make them sound more delicious to the ears. Billie Eilish's producer, what's his name? Phineas, also plays with what he calls ear candy, adding imperfections. So I think... I think we, as a human race, like to aspire to perfection in one way but in the other we really don't you know we get bored with it if it's there too much too long years ago i was commissioned to write a suite of music called music for robots for an art exhibition and the question i asked myself in order to create these five different pieces was would different robots have different urges to listen to different kinds of music so if you go back into the realms of science fiction, somebody like Commander Data from Star Trek The Next Generation, I would imagine he would like Bach, clean, beautiful, quiet, predictable music. But what about other robots like Marvin, the paranoid android from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? <laughs> I would imagine he would quite like listening to, you know, Rage Against the Machine or something really kind of dark and emotional and and you know right down the bottom of the the keyboard and you know everywhere in between not every robot wants to aspire to bark some would like to listen to something else so <laughs> in terms of perfection and music and technology it's one of those things that as you can see i'm quite happy to chat about and around for an infinite amount of time because perfection is subjective and I'm a very odd creature in that I am classically trained I've got a master's degree in music but my my playlists that I listen to are horrifically wide I make sure to absorb as much and as many different musical genres as possible because I feel that that's nutritious for my mind and 
yeah, I can I can recommend anyone who wishes to explore their own musical leanings to go outside of their kind of bubble and and see what they might they might find something they really like. Well, that that's awesome. And I've heard you say that even though you're classically trained, you like to improvise, which is a little little unusual if I if I understand correctly. But I guess with with all this music and those stuff you're doing with AI, what what are your hopes here? I mean, what what are you hoping that people take away from your your music? Huh. A lot of the stuff I've done has always been about two things: demystifying an experience or demystifying technology, or connecting people. I think in a world where it's very easy to feel disconnected, none more so than right now. The current situations around the world, including political unrest, including obviously the pandemic, which is going on as we're recording this, we're going into lockdown in a couple of days in the UK. And all of the art that I've made, all of the stuff that I do, I think, is about connecting, connecting people to each other, to their own inspiration, to their own humanity, to each other. And... I never really thought about it until very recently that that's one of the things that has always been a recurring theme for me. I guess when I'm performing or when I'm streaming, one of the nicest things to happen is if somebody contacts me and said, says, I was feeling really down, but I feel a lot better now. And, or even I felt like it was too late to start learning the piano, but I, I've started, you know, or I've had a flute in my garage for 10 years and I've gone and got it out and, you know, put the grease on it and opened it up again. And, you know, firing up creativity and hope and positivity is something that without really realizing it, I've championed. Well, that's awesome. So you're saying there's hope for me. I can get beyond the stick figures. <laughs> Yes, of course. Of course you can. <laughs> There's loads of things I couldn't do at the beginning of the year that I can do now. And, and part of it is there's a, a thing Carol Dweck talks about, the growth mindset, which is instead of saying I'm really bad at this, it's okay, I've got a lot to learn. And there's, there's all manner of, of things that we tell ourselves and, you know, I'm just as guilty of negative self-talk as the next person. But I guess I'm at a point now where I recognize it and I can put it where it belongs, which is, you know, thanks for that. I'll put that over here. <laughs> 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 so, yes, look at it this way. YouTube is an amazing and abundant collection of tutorials on everything from soldering to technical drawing and you know, I learned how to sew face coverings from, from YouTube. I learned how to take a radiator off the wall on YouTube. I learned some technical drawing skills. I learned acrylic pouring. <laughs> I learned how to cook a really good doll. I have learned so much. And yes, the first time, not so good. The second time, it's, you know, takes a few goes. But yes, more than the stick figure. I think what would help you in your quest for drawing would be having something that you want to draw. Let's say, for example, oh, I really want to draw uh, a new room in my house. And 
So therefore, I'll start off by looking at drawings, like floor plans, say, then I'll look at perspective drawings, and then I'll, I'll just type this into YouTube, and then I'll just kind of draw. And yeah, of course, it's going to be rubbish at first. The first <laughs> song I wrote was rubbish. Thanks for not sugarcoating it. <laughs> yeah, of course, but why is that a bad thing? <laughs> I've written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs and pieces of music, and not all of them have been absolute bangers. Some of them really aren't good at all. <laughs> I wouldn't be particularly thrilled at streaming me singing whilst I'm cooking in the kitchen. That's not something that people need to hear, but it's a necessary part of the process. If I'm going to be performing, I, I need to be able to let out the stuff that doesn't work. And I think bringing that back into AI and creation, what we're hearing when we enter stuff into a machine is we're hearing its first attempt, its second attempt, it's learning in a very similar way to us. It's just that we let it. We're much more objective. <laughs> you know, when when um, when the machine eventually beats a human at chess or go, we don't think to ourselves, oh, well, it was rubbish at the beginning. <laughs> you look at the the achievement at the end. And, and I feel as as humans, we could do with a bit more objective treatment of our attempts to improve. Well, I, I totally agree. We're not good things right away, and neither is AI. The stories I could tell about some of the things we did with like Watson, um, it got good, but like it's like a child, right? When you start off, you're you're very uh, rough, and it takes time and practice. With that, I, I with that, I do want to talk a little bit about your superpower, if you don't mind. Of course. Right? Maybe I don't know if everyone's familiar with synesthesia. Maybe you could share a little bit about what it is and how it's helped shape your musical career. Sure. Um, it's a source of great fascination for people, actually, when they find out. Music and color and all of my senses are kind of mixed together. And for me, it was more of a surprise to find that not everybody had this. I just thought everyone else could handle the world incredibly easily. And I was the only one struggling with this input. Why, you know, why are these walls such a bright color? Why is this food so sharp tasting? And it wasn't until probably six years ago that somebody said, oh, well, what happened was I, I ate some honey. <laughs> and I said, oh, I love this honey. It's got a major sixth. Most honey is just like a B flat. And I was with a group of musicians. So there, I felt like this was an opportunity to, to compare the different notes people had when they had this. <laughs> anyway, I just was met with this complete mystified stare. It turns out that no, not everybody says that honey is kind of like this um, <laughs> lovely <laughs> um, taste to it. And, and so for me, there's this interchanging adjectives that I have. So honey tastes like it's a, in a major key, say, but I would say that many of us all have this experience. People say they're feeling blue when they're feeling sad. Or people have, you know, they, they feel like they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders. So these crossing over the senses, it's called cross-modal behaviour. There's actually a laboratory in Oxford that's dedicated to this idea of cross-modality between the senses. But for me, at least, music and colour are intricately linked. Taste and music are also intricately linked. So here's an example. This is a colour, a sort of blue-purple colour. And then this is a dark blue. A 
and then this is a, a kind of warm coffee and then this is um, chocolate um, and so for me when I'm cooking or when I'm eating I have a very heightened sense of what I can taste I used years ago I used to be like a, a restaurant blogger I would go and get invited to all of these amazing places and stuff my face and write reviews and uh, it was it was a delicious and highly calorific <laughs> experience <Wow. laughs> but um I, I think that with that um mixing of the senses comes a sensitivity that I never really made peace with until I found out that this neurological condition had a name and about 4% of the population have it apparently and about 0.3% of the population have it to the intensity that I have and so it can be frustrating in in some ways in that I cannot get past the taste of certain things <laughs> for like, like onions for example I like the texture of onions and I like the taste of onions, but I don't like them together. So <laughs> like fennel has a texture of onion, but it's got this beautiful taste of fennel. But an onion doesn't, it shouldn't have that crunchy texture. It should have that beautiful, smooth kind of taste. And <laughs> yes, as you can tell, I've done quite a lot more cooking in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I think a lot of us have. <laughs> yes, many, many of us have. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so that's basically what happened was people started to get very interested in how my mind works because I was able to make all of these unexpected connections in terms of problem solving, in terms of trend spotting. So uh, my job for the BBC is spotting technology trends. And because I'm making all of these unexpected connections, because my brain is wired that way, I was jumping to conclusions before many people in terms of what's coming down the line for technology and what we as humans experience and how we behave with each other. So it's almost like, um, for want of a better word, a, a sort of look into the future, but not a logical one, an intuitive one, which almost goes against my scientific <laughs> you're, you're quite the dichotomy, LJ. <laughs> Science Thank and you. art, tr tradition and improvision. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I got to ask, because I'm really curious, what is a NASA data knot? Ah, uh, NASA have an outreach program for people to play with their data sets, and they select 50 people per term from around the world to get mentorship from NASA and the people inside of it. And we get to be creative about solving problems or projects that we would like to do inside of that umbrella. And it's absolutely fascinating being involved with this incredibly diverse selection of people from all over the world with all different skills. And I'm kind of like this token artist who loves technology. I think there's a lot of technologists who love art and coming the other way, it feels like I'm going the wrong way round a roundabout in some ways. Um, <laughs> but if 
if you find the right group of people, it's really appreciated. So there were, we, we, a few years before Zoom hit the mainstreams, we were having Zooms, conference calls every few weeks where we would talk about these projects that everybody was doing and how we could make them more interesting or how we can solve a problem. So one of the things I'm working on is data sonification. So how you can use sound to make data more easy to understand. So a bit like data visualization, but with sound instead. And there's all different projects around that. <laughs> so that's basically what being a NASA data nor involves cool things. I got to visit NASA HQ, which is every bit as intimidating as you can imagine. And <laughs> we had astronauts that we could chat to and we had scientists talking about exoplanets, that's planets outside of our solar system, you know, the possibilities of whether we're going to find life within this solar system or outside of the solar system. And, you know, Kepler's planets being mapped, whether or not we're going to find a planet capable of supporting human life, how likely that is and some of the techniques used to wrangle that data. <laughs> that is fascinating. I am totally jealous. It sounds like <laughs> an amazing experience. Space I, uh, is awesome. I would love to go into space. I, I, I would too. I uh, hope I get the chance one day. LJ, if you don't mind me asking, and if you could share, what's next for you? Any kind of little sneak peek we can get on your next project? Obviously, I'm honoured to host the AI for Good Summit with the United Nations ITU. It's a real pet project, actually, and it's great to meet so many innovative people. And I know that we've got more planned for this year and next. And I am doing quite a few more music projects over on my Instagram and YouTube and Twitter, which it's pretty easy to find me online. So come say hi. Instagram is this is LJ Rich. And YouTube is youtube.com slash C slash LJ Rich, because that is my channel. And I'm on Twitter at LJ Rich as well. So yeah, come and find me. I'm always doing something that if you are interested in music, technology, or slightly nerdy, you probably like it. <laughs> awesome. We'll make sure all those things are in the show notes for our audience. LJ, thank you so much for sharing your story and being on the show. You know, I would love to chat with you for hours upon hours, but uh, we have to let our audience get back to their lives as well. But I do encourage you to check out LJ's work because oh, it is mind-blowing. Oh, thank you. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you. Thank you.